Good to see you. I'm Steve. I'm grateful that you're here. I'm glad that you chose to be here. Go ahead and stand up. I'll be really grateful if you worship today because God is awesome.
Amen. What a way to start our worship today. My name is Billy Janone, and it is my privilege to welcome you here today. If you are brand new to Cap City, I am going to ask that you grab a red Connect card out of the seat back pocket in front of you. We ask that you fill that out and turn that into our welcome center on the way out. We just want to have an opportunity to say thank you for coming today and also be able to answer any questions that you may have. I want to remind everybody that immediately following our service is our annual congregational meeting. This is our opportunity to vote on our 2024 budget and also an elder. If you are 18 years or older and you have been here um, as far as a member at Cap City for six months or longer, then you are eligible to participate in that. So we ask that you hang around for just a few minutes. I promise that's all that it's going to take, but that gives you an opportunity to cast your vote today. Also coming up next Sunday, immediately following our 11 a.m. service, is our annual Cap City Family Thanksgiving. And we are going to ask you, our Cap City family, to provide your favorite side or and or dessert 
to share. And we usually provide the turkey. However, we also need three more volunteers that are willing to roast a whole turkey for us for lunch next week. If you can be one of those three people, Miss Paula, who heads this up every year, is on our greeting team this morning. So you can find her immediately following service out at our welcome hub. And be sure you check out with her so that she can get you that turkey and also provide you those instructions. But most importantly, we are looking forward to an awesome afternoon of good food and great company. Uh, in our no November nudges, we are wanting to center everything around Cap City giving thanks this month. And we have provided thank you notes. You can find them in the lobby today when you leave. They're going to be in this, uh, around this green wall in this corner as you exit to the left. And we just want to be sure that we are remembering his goodness and his love because that helps bring our blessings into focus and puts our problems into perspective. So grab a card or two on your way out today and use those as a way to say thanks to someone who has impacted your life, no matter how big or small. We are going to be posting daily prompts on our uh, Cap City social media just to give you extra ideas on how to say thanks to God and others. And we ask you to use hashtag Cap City Gives Thanks so that you can help inspire others to do the same. As we find ourselves in the season of gratitude, I want to thank a very special group of individuals that is in the crowd today. If you are a veteran and you served our country in any branch of service, whether that was the Air Force, the Army, the Coast Guard, the Navy, or the Marine Corps, I'm going to ask that you stand. We want to say thank you. We want to say thank you to you for your service and for your sacrifice because without it, we would not enjoy the daily freedoms that we have. At, um, and sorry, God commands us in Ephesians 5.21 to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And at some point in their life, every veteran decided that living themselves for something bigger than themselves was more important than their own life and their own desires. And that's why we give them honor and respect. But Jesus set the ultimate example for us in this, that he decided that giving his life up for us was more important, that we could be reconciled to God through him and his ultimate sacrifice. And so that's why we gather here every week to give him the honor and the respect that he deserves. And that reverence is what calls us to submit our lives to him daily and gives him that position of Lord over our lives. So let's keep that attitude of gratitude as we continue our service with this video. I'm sure you would say you never really saw yourself as different, but as I looked around at your things today, your uniform, old photos, service medals, with respect, I have to disagree. Because to me, you are different. You're someone who already knows that when duty calls, you will answer. You're someone who's faced their greatest fears shrunk back. You're someone who's seen what it means that the greatest love is to lay down your life for your friends and even for total strangers. If that doesn't make you stand apart from the rest, I don't know what does. That's why I had to write to you today of all days and to all those like you who sacrificed their safety, their own well-being, even their own future, so we wouldn't have to. Even if you've heard these words a thousand times, you deserve to hear them again.
from those of us who weren't there, who have not seen what you saw, never been tested the way you were. All we can say is, thank you. And we are grateful. On a separate note, I hate double standards. <laughs> I hate them. I think you probably do too. We hate double standards, don't we? Stuff like this. Like a woman takes her child to the park and that's normal. That's expected. That's not special, right? But if a father takes his kids to the park, he's a kidnapper, right? That's the double standard, right? It's a different perspective, different stuff. If you opened up your news app uh, today and you read some story about some politician who had embezzled money from his campaign fund over this past week as his campaign closed up, your emotional uh, response to that news would probably be dependent on whether or not there was a D or an R in front of their name. That's a double standard, right? I read stories that uh, frequently happens almost every year. There's a story of some athlete who's driving late at night, way over the speed limit. There's usually something in his system, a drug or an alcohol, that has impaired him. And the story always comes out that he tries to bribe the police officer, or he tries to use his name. He tries to find a way to get out of being in trouble because of who he is. Because, unfortunately, that's worked in the past, hasn't it? There's a double standard there. I hate double, stand double standards. I hate them. What about respect? What about respect? There's double standards all the time, right? Like I demand to be respected. I expect that you would respect me, but I refuse to respect you unless you earn it, right? And if you do something to not deserve respect anymore, then I don't have to give you respect anymore. I still expect that you're going to respect me, but I don't have to respect you because you have you failed in some way, right? Like, I see your flaws. I don't see my own flaws. Sometimes when we feel disrespected, we can respond in two ways. Like, we can work really hard to try to, like, prove to you that I deserve your respect. I can try to earn it. But usually what we do is we instead just kind of cut the legs out from under the other person and point out how much they don't deserve respect either. It's a double standard there, isn't there? big idea is that respect tends to lead to respect. Disrespect leads to disrespect. Last week in our uh, series, as we started out this marriage series, we, we talked about your marriage vows. If you go way back in time and you recall when you got married and you made these promises, you said these vows to someone and, and you said something along the lines of, you know, I promise to love her, comfort her, honor and keep her. Doc was looking at those words from my sermon last week, and he recognized that our first three sermons in this marriage series come from three of those four ideas. The idea of love, which we talked about last week. Today we're going to talk about this honor piece. Next week we'll talk about the keep. We'll use the word persevere next week. Today we're going to use this word respect. And I know that within our context, oftentimes, honor and respect are different we see them defined differently. We have clear ways in which they aren't exactly the same thing. What's interesting is that in Greek, there's two different words for those two words, but they're interchangeable. 
uh, that they weren't as far apart or as different as they are in our mind. And so even though we might use that word honor, even as we look through scripture and find places where the word honor is used, respect is a legitimate word to translate into those spaces as well. And as we look around at the world that we live in and we consider what it is that God has created, we notice that there's some controversy, there's some conflict between the two. There's the world's way and then there's God's way. The world's way focuses on getting respect, right? When we think about respect, we think about what it feels like to get respect or what we would want to do to earn or, or, or receive respect. That feels normal. But God's way is a little bit different. It's not about getting respect. It's about giving respect. A Jesus follower is focused on giving respect. And in fact, it's, it's an obligation. It's a command. It's something that, that is laid out and expected, which feels a little bit weird. There's all sorts of precedent for this. In the Old Testament, you have stuff like this. In Leviticus 19 and Exodus 20, we're told to respect our parents or honor our parents. And there's no, oblig- there, there's no um, option to it. It's not an optional thing. It's not a contingent thing. It's not honor your parents if they were good parents. It's not honor your parents if they raised you well. It's not contingent. It's not optional. It's not, it's not you can honor them if you want to. It's just a flat-out command. You do it. You respect them. You honor them. Leviticus 19 says that you're supposed to respect the elderly, which is also kind of a little bit challenging because there's some people that I want to respect, but they don't think they're elderly. Right? His name is Doc. That's a weird one, right? You're supposed to respect those who are older in age, the elderly. Malachi 1 says that we're supposed to honor, respect God. Ephesians 5, which we looked at last week, says that you're supposed to respect your husbands. Wives, told to respect your husbands. And that's interesting to me. What's also really interesting to me is that in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says that husbands are supposed to respect their wives. That it goes both ways. What's really interesting to me is that in 1 Peter 3, he says that husbands are supposed to respect their wives. In the previous chapter, just words before, just a few words before, he says that you're supposed to respect everyone. So he says that everybody, all Jesus followers, were supposed to respect everyone. And then like a few verses later, he's like, no, seriously, even your wives. <laughs> right? to respect everyone, even when we're aware of their flaws. Giving respect is an obligation. It's not optional. It's not conditional. It's not contingent on something else. It's not a favor that we give. In fact, I think it's an act of maturity, especially for the Jesus follower. And it's birthed out of an awareness of God's grace. I think this statement is true. I think that if you do not fully respect, you do not fully love. Show me how you can love someone while disrespecting them. Respect, I think, is a part of fulfilling our call to love. The world says that respect is something that you earn, something that you have to prove that you deserve. God says that respect is given. Why is it so different? Why does God speak to us differently? Why does God expect something different from his Jesus followers? Why is it that we have to give respect? I wonder about this. I ask this question, what does it do for me? When I respect you, what does that do for me? Last week, we we introduced this quote. It's not the first time some of you have ever heard it, but it's from Doc. He says that marriage is the gymnasium of the soul. 
Marriage is the gymnasium of the soul. It's that place where we go to work out and learn how to be a Jesus follower. When I go to the gym, <laughs> which is funny because I don't. I don't. <laughs> but in theory, all right, let's say I go to the gym and I work out. Who does it benefit? It benefits me, right? Wouldn't it be nice if you could go to the gym and work out and it would benefit me? <laughs> that would be wonderful. I'd be a big fan of such an idea, right? No, we go to the gym to work on ourselves. It's where we, where we go through the repetitions and we work on gaining our own gains, if that makes sense, all right? Most of us don't go to the gym. Mostly because we don't want to. <laughs> Some of us don't think we need to. When it comes to respect, I think most of us don't see ourselves as disrespectful. And we don't recognize how much we need to go to the gym. The reality is God tells us that everyone should be respected whether it's earned or not. And I think this goes back to the whole image of God conversation. When we read through scripture and God tells us that we're supposed to love everybody, it's not because everybody is lovable, it's because every single person bears this image of God within them. They've been imprinted with, with, with who he is. He's, he's done something special within us. And as a Jesus follower, I see the world differently. I see people differently. And I love because I see the image of God in every single human I ever see. And so I respect everyone because they bear this image of God. Ephesians chapter 5, again, last week we looked at this and it started with this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then, he, and then he says something specific to wives and then something specific to husbands. He says, wives need to respect their husbands. Husbands need to love their wives. It's interesting to me that Paul would say something to, to a group of people. He's talking to married people, married Christians, and he says something like this, submit to one another, something that applies to everybody. And then he draws out differences. Why would he have done that? Why would Paul specifically highlight something for men and something different for women? Is it because neither of these acts is easy or natural for us? Do you think it's at all tougher for a man to love a woman in a way that she feels loved? That's an important piece of this. In the way that she feels loved? Is it tougher for women to respect men in a way that he feels respected? Men and women are different. There's stereotypes to this, and they're just stereotypes, I know. But do you know that stereotypes exist because there's like little shreds of truth in it, right? Like it's built off of things that are true. And you know that men and women are different. Science studies these differences. There's books about this stuff. It's not like I'm just up here making this stuff up, right? There's a book about men and women and how they think differently. It says that men's brains are like waffles, not covered in syrup so much, okay? But the idea is this. The idea is that in their brain, everything has their particular compartment, all right? And it's a stereotype. It's not true for every man, but for most men, generally speaking, they have these nice, neat compartments. I think of like a storage space, right? And when a conversation comes up, a man goes to that box in his brain of all the things he knows about that thing that we're talking about. And he opens the box. He doesn't touch any other boxes. He doesn't let this box touch any other boxes, all right? He pulls it out. He opens his box. He looks through it. He thinks about it. He considers it. When he's done with the conversation, he puts everything back in the box. Right? And he closes it up. And he puts it back where it goes. But it doesn't touch any other boxes, right? Everything's compartmentalized. Everything's separate. 
The same book says that women's brains are like spaghetti. <laughs> says that everything's touching everything, right? And, and they're all connected, and every thought also has an emotion to it. And so any emotion that, that one thought might have is touching every other spaghetti noodle that also has that emotion experience to it, connection idea. And so one thought can lead to this other thought that has nothing to do with it except that the emotion is somehow connected, right? It's just different. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. We're different, aren't we? We think differently. We act differently. Men go to football games and they take their shirts off and they celebrate what's happening on the field. Women go to football games and they are more concerned with what the other girls in the stands are wearing. We're different. We do relationships different. Men make fun of one another. We fight, and then we get over it real quickly. We don't need consistent communication. In fact, if you're married, you probably know that your husband's best friend is someone he hasn't talked to in years. <laughs> but they're still best friends, right? Women are different. Women don't make fun of one another. They encourage one another. If they do fight, it lasts for decades. <laughs> and if they aren't in constant, consistent communication, then one of them is assuming that they're fighting. Right? We're just different. Is it easy or natural for a man to love his wife? It's an interesting question, isn't it? And the stereotype says no. And I know it's just a stereotype, and I know this isn't true absolutely in all circumstances, but generally speaking, generally speaking, it seems as if men are not good at loving their wives in a way that their wife feels loved. That's the important part. It's not so much that they don't do things of love, it's just that it's not the way that their wife received it. It doesn't feel like love to her. Men are typically unemotional. They struggle with communication. They value other things like work or hobbies over relationships. Too many of us, too many men, put too little effort into understanding their wives. I think that's generally true. Is it easier natural for a wife to respect her husband? That's a big question. And generally speaking, I think that's true. I think that it's not easy or natural for her. And I know it's a stereotype, but generally speaking, women are not good at respecting their husbands in a way that their husband feels respected. That's the key piece. In a way that he feels respected. They may think that they're doing things of respect or saying things of respect, but it's not in a way in which he receives it. We're different. Women can be too emotional for most guys. They struggle with communicating positives. Instead, they fixate on the flaws of their husbands. They value relationships over everything else, and they seem to exaggerate problems. You like my stereotypes? Yeah. <laughs> that was a test, and you failed. <laughs> Listen, these are stereotypes, okay? And you may push back, but Paul says that submitting for a woman Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ for a woman looks like respecting her husband in a way that he feels respected. And he says that submitting for a man looks like loving his wife in a way that she feels loved. And it doesn't mean that a woman doesn't have to love her husband. And it doesn't mean that a husband doesn't have to respect his wife. The New Testament is full of scripture that speaks to both of those ideas. That as a Jesus follower, I'm called to love all people. I'm called to respect all people. We even have passages like out of 1 Peter 3 that specifically tells men to respect their wives. It just seems 
It just seems that submitting to one another in reverence for Christ looks like a wife respecting and a husband loving. We talked about love last week. We significantly challenged husbands. Today we're going to talk about respect and we're going to significantly challenge wives. And Doc was supposed to preach this and he decided to run to Montana. (laughs) This is probably more controversial than most of the things we've preached lately. But I want you to lean in. I want you to just consider if the things that we're pulling from Scripture here, if if there's any value to them, if there's anything that would actually make your marriage better. And again, this is bigger than marriage. We're using marriage as as the prototype. We're using marriage as the example of all relationships. But you understand that if you love the people in your life better, if you respect the people in your life better, there's going to be positive positive, uh, comeback for that, right? Positive results. This isn't just about marriage. We're using marriage as that example. The truth is, respect is a big challenge for any of us. It's a challenge in any marriage. It's where spouses become adversaries or they obsess over each other's failures. It's where conversations can grow abrasive. It's a challenge for all of us. And so we, we see that the odds are our marriages have been here and we want to overcome these odds. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission looks like husbands loving and wives Respecting What does that practically look like? Some help for how to respect better. First challenge is going to be change your thinking. Did you change your thinking? And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean change how you think or what you think necessarily as much as where your focus is. It's true that guys really struggle with understanding their wives, and it's because they're really, 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 really hard to understand, right? It's really complicated. And we joke about men and how simple of a creature we are. We say that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. We try to make them simple, but the reality is they're hard to understand too, aren't they? It goes both ways. Too often times what happens is we become self-absorbed. We have no clue what our spouse is feeling or thinking. Wives, I want to challenge you to change your thinking in an effort to respect your husband more, try to understand him and where he's at. Try to understand what he feels because he thinks differently than you. And you won't respect him and he won't feel respected until you work to truly understand him and truly understand him, truly understand him from his perspective, not yours. Try to understand the tasks that he has to tackle. Try to understand the pressures he has to face, the pains he has to endure, all from his perspective. Now, this is, this is incredibly simple to say this stuff. This, this how can I respect, just change your thinking. It's super simple. This is very practical. This is something that is for everybody within, within the secular world. This is very simple, right? There's not much else to this. But I hope you see that as a Jesus follower, there's so much more to this. It's so much deeper than this because it's not just about changing your thinking. It's going to be also about changing your standards. Once you change your standards, in fact, what I want you to do is I want you to adopt what Gary Thomas, Gary Thomas is an author of a book called Sacred Marriage that Doc and I are using for this series. He says that you should adopt a holy double standard. We talked about double standards earlier. He says you should adopt a holy double standard. Oftentimes, Oftentimes we exist in these double standards where we hold things against people that we don't hold against ourselves. We focus on their weaknesses and we tend to ignore our own. We tend to hold their weaknesses against them and we excuse our own. What if we turn that around? What if we had a holy double standard 
And I think this is actually, you know, believe it or not, an actual Christian principle. And it works when in humility we see our own sin and we see the grace that God has poured into us. And instead of holding things against other people, we actually seek to encourage, we seek to see the good in them. It's a guy named John Owen. He writes it this way. He says, the person who understands the evil in his own heart is the only person who is useful, fruitful, and solid in his beliefs and obedience. Do you understand that? The person who understands the evil in his own heart is the one who's useful. The person who understands their own flaws and their own shortcomings is the person who's actually valuable to society. Now, at first, there's a part to like push back against that, right? Like, why in the world would I want to agree that? That sounds awful. But then he says this, others only delude themselves. And that's where this quote to me starts to make sense. Because I know people who live in this delusion. And he says that they end up just upsetting their families and their churches and other relationships. Because they're not honest, they're not truthful. They don't see themselves for who they truly are. When my respect slips into judgment, this is a big idea. When my, when my respect slips into judgment, it's because I'm weak, not because they're failing. Do you buy that? It's not like they failed for the first time. <laughs> it's not like they were perfect and then you were shocked. It's about anybody. No, whenever I stop respecting someone, that's saying something about me more than it is about them. That's something that's in my heart that I need to deal, deal with. That's when I need to start visiting Jesus' gym. That's when I need to start showing up and start working on the things that Jesus works on because respect is a spiritual discipline. It's one of the ways that we see maturity. It's one of the ways that we measure whether or not we're growing. Am I more respectful? It's an act of maturity. You need to change your thinking. You need to change your standards, being beneficial to the people around you and being honest in humility with yourself. And then I want you to change your attitude. I've talked about some this morning, an attitude, a gratitude. I hate that saying. I hate it, but it's true. You know that when I'm thankful for my spouse, the control that judgment has on me is broken. When I find myself thankful for things, I don't find myself judgmental of those same things. And so we look for new ways to be thankful. Thomas in his book tells a story of, of uh, this time in his life when he had different friends who would occasionally bring him meals. I think he has better friends than I do, okay? But he had these friends. <laughs> that, was a, that was a challenge to all of you to bring me a meal. Okay, so he had these friends who would just occasionally bring him a meal, okay? Just randomly show up at his house. And he talked about how he would be effusive with thanks to them, just overwhelmingly thanking them for what it is that they had done. And one night he sat convicted at his table as his wife provided another meal without him ever saying thank you. Can you see it? Can you look for new ways to be thankful? Not that new things were happening, but just that you're willing to see them again. You can choose to obsess over expectations or thanksgivings, things of gratitude. And what you choose to obsess over will lead to either judgment or respect. It's where you put your focus, right? This is a great time to do it. November, it's Thanksgiving month. This is our nudge for the church. Uh, Billy Joe talked about it earlier. When you walk out in the foyer, there's a table display set up right off to your left. It's got a table with all sorts of cards for you to take. 
and write and send to whoever you want to send them to. Give them to whoever you want to give them to. Uh, where you have this whole social media campaign with these nudges to you, these prompts for ways in which you can be more thankful. What would happen in your marriage if over the next few weeks you became obsessed with finding new ways to thank your spouse? Is there any chance that would be a good thing for you? I think we know that answer. I think we know that that would be good. I want you to change your thinking. I want you to change your standards. I want you to change your attitude. I also want you to change your memory. Our world, our world is profoundly broken and every single one of us is as well. We tend to remember the failures of our spouse and we forget that they're a sinner in a broken world as if we should be surprised that they would fail. The problem is that we still imagine life before the fall. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says that, that we have this, uh, this sense that God has implanted in us of how things could be, how things should be. We want that perfection. We want things to be done right. We imagine life before the fall. We know that our relationship could be. We know what our marriage relationship should be. And both of them are incapable the husband and the wife are both incapable of being in the relationship that they both should be in. We're incapable of living out that ideal. Our souls are wired for something that we will never enjoy until we're fully transformed. James chapter 3 says that we all stumble, meaning we all fall in many ways. We all fall. We all stumble in many ways. We all want our partner to become what they were made to be but they're not, and they won't ever get there, will they? And you'll never find a spouse who's unaffected by the fall. Husbands, you will never find a wife who has not been affected by the fall. She has sin in her life. She will never escape it. Wives, you will never find a man who is not affected by the fall, who is absent of sin in his life. He will never escape it. And if you can't respect your spouse despite his weaknesses. If you can't respect your spouse despite her weaknesses, you will truly never respect anyone. Because this isn't an issue about them. It's an issue about you. We go to the gym to work on ourselves. It's not about whether or not you think they deserve respect. They do deserve respect because they're made in the image of God. Respect isn't something that's earned. It's not something that's deserved in some sort of an earning kind of way. It's something that we give. You're commanded to respect. It's not about their weaknesses. It's, it's about recognizing. It's about remembering, not their failures, but about the fact that they are a broken person in a broken world. See them as they were created to be and treat them as they are meant to be, not as they are. That's what Jesus did. I mean, that's hard. What I just said is really hard. It's really complicated, but you understand that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus consistently saw people in this way. He would see people as they were created to be, and he treated them as they were meant to be. Jesus embraced people who others viewed as disgusting. Their sins were evident and apparent, and everybody could see it, and everybody hated on them. Everybody was rude to them. They were disrespected. Jesus loved them. Instead, Jesus called disgusting 
what people didn't see in themselves. When people in pride would act as if they were above others, as if they were above sin, as if they were perfect. When people had this perception that they were above any sort of accountability for their own behavior, Jesus called them out for their sin. Jesus loved a guy named Judas who would later betray him. He loved a woman that he met at a well who was known for going from man to man. He loved a guy whose name was Zacchaeus. He was, he was a cheater and a liar. He was a traitor. Every single one of them were steeped in sin. And if you look closely in the gospel accounts, you'll find that everyone that Jesus interacted with was sinful, even the righteous, the ones who thought they didn't have it. Those are the ones Jesus called out, but he still loved them. And he still honored them, and he still respected them. He saw what they could be. He saw what they were meant to be. He still washed their feet. He still ate with them. He still spoke respectfully to them. The only perfect person in our world moved towards sinful people. And he tells us to do the same. He moved towards sinful people, and he tells us to do the same. If you are married... There's no one in the world that you've been called to move towards more than your spouse. And that's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. We find it hardest to respect those whose weaknesses we know best. Marriage is tough and challenging. There isn't anyone in the world who you are more aware of their sins and their weaknesses as much as you are your spouse. Because of that, respect tends to diminish. I want you to change your memory. I don't want you to fixate on their failures, but instead fixate on their good. Remember that they're broken, that they live in a broken world. I want you to change your thinking. I want you to change your standards. I want you to change your attitude. I want you to change your mind. And maybe, just maybe, then your actions will change. Maybe. Maybe you could start supporting instead of criticizing. Maybe you could encourage instead of blame. Maybe you could listen instead of complain. Maybe you could accept instead of nag. Maybe you could trust instead of threat. Maybe you could respect instead of punish. Maybe you could change your actions. Ephesians 5.21 says that we're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another because we first submit to Christ. We recognize who he is and what he's done for us, and so we respect and submit to one another out of that. Wives, what would happen? Be truthful. What would happen in your marriage if you started changing your thinking of how you think of your husband and trying to understand him and who he is? What would happen if you would change your standards and you would begin to see the good in him and be more humble in yourself? What would happen if you would change your attitude where you consistently, intentionally tried to be more grateful for who he is, what would happen if you would change your memory? If you would allow yourself to remember that he's not perfect and he's not expected to be perfect? He's broken and we live in a broken world. What would happen if you changed your actions? You don't have to do any of this stuff. If you want a healthy marriage... If you want a healthy marriage, if you want a marriage that works, you don't even have to follow Jesus. If you do these things, it would work. If you want to do things right, if you are a Jesus follower, would you be willing, out of reverence for Christ, to submit yourselves? Wives, would you be willing to respect your husband because you're willing to submit to him out of reverence for Christ?
husbands, what would happen if out of submission to Christ, out of reverence to who Christ is, you, you, in, you, you consistently, you intentionally chose to love your wife? What would happen? What would happen here at Cap City if we began to love and respect this kind of way? Can you imagine the generational change that would take place if our children were raised in homes like this? Can you imagine the type of love that would exist within our homes, within our communities? Can you imagine the impact we could have if we started with ourselves? That's a big challenge. It's a big challenge. If there's something in this that leads you to want prayer, I'd love to, to do that with you. I'm sitting up front. We've got an elder back in the room who'd love to pray with you. If there's a conversation you need to have or something you're thinking through or want to work through, let's have those conversations. Marriage is where we figure all this stuff out. It's where we work on our soul. Let's do some soul work right now. Why don't you stand?
Come into this time of communion and remember that we are supposed to be people of gratitude and praise. We're going to go to these tables and remember that Jesus Christ showed us what sacrifice looks like. And we're going to take the bread and juice together to memorialize that. In addition, we're going to be able to give you our offering if that's something that you brought today into the uh, boxes that are into the stations. And we do something called the generous bucket. You've got something beyond that offering as well. Now, something a little bit different. What I want you to do is grab your phone. Take your phone out. I'm going to take your phone out. And I want you to turn the ringer on. Turn your ringer on, all right? Turn it all the way up. Turn your ringer on. If you don't have a phone, that's all right. Just start screaming really loud in a few moments. But no, what I want you to do is when you're going to go to the tables, you're going to be able to take communion together. But I also want you to just send messages of gratitude to anybody that's in this room outside of this room, okay, too. But I want to be able to hear what it is that you're doing. So turn on your ringers. The only time that I'll have you do this, all right? So go to the tables, keeping these things in mind, and start sending as much gratitude as you possibly can, okay?
so good to us. You've shown us over and over again that this is the life that you've given to us. Everything that is good and perfect. So we want to give you thanks. We want not just to be able to give it to you but to be so loving to the people around us that the world takes notice. We do each of these things in Jesus' holy name. Jesus, no. 
you guys have a seat for a second and look over to my left. My right, your your left. All right. This is my friend Robbie. Why don't you come right here? All right. This is Robbie. Uh, Robbie came forward a couple weeks ago, and uh, God is doing a, a work in him right now that is just incredible. You can see it. Uh, he's excited about it. I know that. He is thrilled with what's happening. He's loved finding this church and how it's renewed something within him. And he's grateful to be here today, and he wants to be uh, baptized again to start his life anew with Jesus, which I think is just really, really cool. So that's great. Robbie, I'm going to ask you to repeat these words, this confession that you've done with me already. We're going to do it again, all right? I believe, I believe that, Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Son of the living God and I accept him, and I accept him as my personal, as Lord, my and personal Lord and Savior. Fantastic. Yeah, no, get it. All right. You should be. That's great. Great. Because of your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that I'm not going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a way to end the service, right? Well, we're not really done, actually. No, I'm just kidding. We're, all, we're finishing up. But it, the most exciting thing is going to happen now. It's a congregational meeting. Oh, my word. I've not experienced one before. Be ready. But we are going to let you, if you're not a member of this church and don't really care about any of that stuff, you can leave here in a few moments. We're going to do one more song to allow that to happen. So we're glad that you were here. If you want to stay right after this song is that said meeting. If not, just leave, okay? Bye-bye.